Welcome to Radio Looks Listen. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me today for episode number 28. I'm going to title this episode, Out of Control, Migrants and the U.S.-Mexico Border. I'm recording this. It's Friday, March 15th in the evening. And if you follow the news here, you may have seen that earlier today, President Donald Trump issued his first veto. And he rejected a measure uh, designed to overturn the declared national emergency uh, uh, that uh, he plans to use in order to uh, allocate funds to build the wall across the the southern border, across the U.S.-Mexico border. So I wanted to talk a bit about immigration today. I know sometimes it seems like this has become all immigration all the time, but I, I think immigration is... It's a fascinating topic for a number of reasons. It's an important topic for a number of reasons. And I think it's one it's a topic that's not really covered all that well in the mainstream media and it's certainly not covered very well in you know among uh say Christian writers. You know there there's not a lot of really solid commentary out there on it. There's some. There is some, but not a lot. And I think there's an opportunity you know, as a uh, as a podcaster as a writer, I really see this as an opportunity to to take some time to uh, to talk uh, about this subject and talk about it from a, a biblical perspective, because so much of what you hear is, of course, not based on on the scriptures at all, but it's it's based upon you know, man's opinion. And, and of course, really, one of the things that's driving the immigration debate in this country is the philosophy, the political and the economic philosophy of the Roman church state. I've written about that extensively in a a recent series. Maybe you've seen something on my blog. It's a series called Mexico Mass Migration and the Example of Moses. I'm up to, I just did, uh, I think it was, I think it was uh, part 21 last week. Lord willing, I'm going to be writing part 22 this week, which I intend to be the final, sort of the the wrap up to the whole series. And, uh, so the immigration has been a lot of my mind over the past several months. And I think this is a good time to do a podcast about it. I don't know if I've really talked about this much on my podcast. I know I've written about it quite a bit. It's a subject, as I said, I've, I've got a lot of, I have interest in this. I've been interested and fascinated about this for years. And the more I study it, the more interesting it gets to me. It, it really does. So anyway, let's dive in today. I, I don't have this really scripted out, so I'm gonna. This is gonna be maybe a a little bit ad hoc, but I, I hope this holds together in a way that that makes sense and is is interesting for you. So starting here, I've got a story here. This is from NBC News, and here's the headline: Trump issues first veto, rejecting measure to overturn border declaration. The president declared a national emergency to make an end run around Congress to obtain billions of dollars in federal funds for his wall. Now, obviously, you can see from that sort of that that headline and and that subheadline there, NBC, surprise, surprise, doesn't think much of of Donald Trump's veto. You know, they describe it as an end around. So they they do it in a a sort of a pejorative way. Now, I'm not going to sit here today and, and spend a lot of time talking about the constitutionality or the lack of constitutionality of Trump's uh, border declaration, a national emergency. Personally, I, I would very much like to have seen him handle that legislatively, gotten that money uh, appropriated through Congress. For the life of me, I don't understand why this wasn't done in 2017. You know, I, I'm not sure what may have happened there, and I, I don't intend to try to, to speculate too much on it here at this point. But it's it's... It's it's been a point of real frustration for me and for a lot of other Americans that the money to to was for, the money for the wall was not appropriated in 2017. I mean, you had a Republican House, you had a Republican Senate, and of course you had a, a Republican White House, and yet they still couldn't get the job done. And, and I don't understand why that's the case. Uh, that's. Uh, but at this point, of course, that's that's water over the dam, and there's not too much uh, sense in, in in crying about that. But yeah, there there are some people who don't like the idea of of the national emergency and think this is unconstitutional. And these are some good people. Um, for instance, Rand Paul, one of my favorite senators, maybe my favorite senator, voted uh, against Trump's uh, national uh, national emergency declaration. In the House of Representatives, uh, Representative Massey voted against the uh, the uh, Trump's uh, national emergency declaration. Again, uh, Representative Massey is really a good congressman. 
Rand Paul is a really good congressman. These are men that I admire. And yet both of them have opposed Donald Trump on his declaration of a national emergency. There have been other people who have come out and made some strong arguments uh, against a national emergency. I'm not going to sit here, though, and spend a lot of time discussing that. What I do want to discuss, though, is the fact that we do have a very serious issue on the border. And it's an issue that, that needs to be addressed. And we have a significant number of people in Congress who not only refuse to deal with the issue, but they actually encourage more of the problem. And, of course, I'm speaking here partially of the Democrats because you know, these are people, of course, you know, they, they look and they see what's going on there on the border, and what they're doing is they're importing a constituency. You know, sometimes they use the term undocumented, uh, undocumented workers or illegal aliens. Well, these are undocumented Democrats, really. I mean, they hope to import them into the country, give them citizenship through something like the DREAM Act or DACA or, you know, what, what have you, and ensure that they vote Democratic. I mean, that's their game plan. I've got one, uh, one uh, fellow that I follow on YouTube. His name is Greg Hunter. He's, he, he likes to use the term, they want to flood the zone. Okay, you know, these, you know, the Democrats, they want to flood the zone with a bunch of illegal aliens. They want to have sanctuary cities. They want to have sanctuary states. They want these people to get voting rights and citizenship and essentially override the votes of the American people. You know, they want them to cast the votes that the American people won't cast. You know, they can't sell enough nonsense to the American people. So they have to import a constituency that will vote for it. And I think really bottom line, that's what comes down for the Democrats. And what I'm going to talk about, too, a little bit is the role of the Roman Catholic Church in all of this. The, the Roman Catholic Church is, in some ways, you might say the unindicted co-conspirator of all of, uh, of this massive uh, problem we have with illegal immigration in the United States. They have provided the, the intellectual, the theoretical framework of which all of this mass immigration is the practice. You know, it, the relationship between theory and practice, theory always comes first, practice second. You know, practice is always the practice of a theory. You know, you put a piece of toast in a toaster oven because you have a prior idea that if I put a piece, a piece of bread in a toaster oven, that it's going to toast it and that toast is going to taste good. You know, maybe you want to put some jam on it or some honey. Uh, you know, I like you know, butter and honey on mine generally. But, but you, know, you, 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 th you have this idea that by putting your toast in a toaster oven that, or your bread in a toaster oven that it's going to turn into toast and that that toast is going to be good and I'm going to enjoy eating that. And, 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 and generally it works out that way, unless, of course, you burn it and then maybe it's not so good. But the idea, you've got this theory that, you know, that, that if you put the, to the, the bread in the toaster oven, it's going to do something that you want it to do. It's going to toast it. Well, that's a very simple example, but you can find this in, in much more complex situations, much more important situations. Maybe I should put it that way. And that certainly includes the issue with, the, uh, with, with immigration. This massive amount of immigration we're having, this massive amount of illegal immigration, all of this, this asylum seeking, all of this, uh, these DACA declarations, all of this, this hullabaloo, and demonstrations and things that you see from, from various uh, advocates of this sort of mass illegal immigration into the United States, it's all based upon a theory. And that theory, that theory, economic and political, is supplied by the Roman church state. And it's something I've talked about quite a bit in, in the, uh, the series that I've written, Mexico, Mass Migration, the Example of Moses. That's really the, the one thing that I wanted to talk about because it's the big thing. It's the 500-pound gorilla in the room that's really not been, I think, sufficiently analyzed. Um, and what I did is I went back and I looked at a number of papal documents, principally one called Exul Familia Nazaretana, you know, the emigre family of Nazareth. Is uh, that that's the English uh, the the Exul Familia? That's that's the original Latin title of it. It was written in 1952 by Pope Pius XII, and then there was a second document that I examined very closely, and it's called "Strangers No Longer: Together on the Journey of Hope," and it was a declaration written. It was a co-declaration written by the U, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, 
as uh, one way to abbreviate them. But the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, they um, decided to join as a partner in crime the uh, Mexican Conference of Catholic Bishops, and they wrote this document, and it's, it's, just an, uh, it's just an abomination. It's just appalling. And it's, it's really the theory, the economics and the politics that you find in those two documents, Exile Familia and Strangers No Longer, that really lays the groundwork for all this mess that we have. So I hold the Roman Catholic Church responsible, maybe even largely responsible, maybe mostly responsible for the problems that we're having with immigration. I'm going to touch on that a little bit here in today's podcast, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to start with. So anyway, so Trump signs this veto, and what, it's, what he did is, is uh, he rejected Congress's attempt to stop him from using uh, federal dollars to, to uh, fund the wall. And, of course, that's going to go back to Congress. And the idea is, I, I think, that some people you know, think that they're going to be able to override Donald Trump's veto. And lo and behold, today we have in, in The Hill, it's a publication, The Hill. It's, a, you know, it's, of course, referring to Capitol Hill is the name, is the reason that it's called that. But this is an article from today, from March 15th, 2019. And here's the headline. Dems prepare next steps after Trump's veto. And it begins, Democrats are planning a vote that aims to override President Trump's veto of legislation blocking his emergency declaration, an effort that's all but certain to fail. The House will hold a veto override vote on March 26, shortly after lawmakers return from a week-long recess. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat California, announced Friday. The measure is unlikely to garner the necessary two-thirds majority, given that only 13 House Republicans joined with the Democrats in support of a resolution last month to block Trump's emergency declaration to build a border wall. So what the, what the Hill is saying and what uh, the conventional wisdom here at this point is, is that there, the Democrats the, are not going to have enough votes to override the veto. So what this is really saying is that, that uh, Trump's going to go ahead and uh, get the, the uh, money be able to appropriate the money to build the wall. Now, I strongly suspect that even if this vote on March 26 fails, as it, it probably will at this point, even if that fails, so let's suppose for a moment that, that you know, they, they can't override Trump's veto. Well, that's not going to be the end of it, of course. And I have no doubt that there's going to be just massive amounts of lawsuits. And they're going to try to just jam this thing up in the court every way they can. And it's going to be very interesting to watch this legal fight. Um, well, maybe interesting is not the right word. It's going to be pretty frustrating. I have to admit, it's, it's hard to sit here and watch this. Because here, here's the thing. We have a manifest, we manifestly have a disaster, uh, an immigration disaster on our hands. And this really shouldn't be, be something that's up for debate. It, it really isn't. In my opinion... The public officials, you know, whether they're people in Congress, whether they are um, governors, whether they're people in state legislatures, county legislatures, mayors, city councilmen, any of these people who have voted for various sanctuary measures, who uh, refuse to turn over people who are in the country illegally to, to ICE, to federal authorities for deportation, these people, their actions and their words are, in, in my view, they are treasonous. You know, they are exposing the American people to massive danger. I mean, there was an article this week, I believe it was in Santa Clara, California, at San Jose, where a, uh, a woman was killed by an illegal immigrant and someone who the, uh, the officials there, I think in the county, I think it was in Santa Clara County, refused to turn him over to ICE and they refused to take any kinds of actions to get this guy out of the country. And he killed this woman. And, of course, you've probably seen other stories like that as well. And in my view, public officials who, who do that sort of thing are blood guilty. I mean, they, they, they have blood on their hands because they refuse to do their job. They refuse to do it. And they, they simply flat out refuse to do what they're supposed to do. They will not punish evildoers. They will not punish people who violate our laws. And not only will they not punish it, they seem to flat out encourage it. They want more of this stuff. They think it's awesome. Well, it's not awesome. And people are dying because of that. Americans. 
and not just Americans. You know, this is one of the things that you hear about a lot, or, you know, you, you read about people who die in the desert. Well, why are people dying in the desert? Because they think they can get into the United States. If they think, they, they think if they get into the United States, that they're going to be showered with fabulous cash and prizes. And you know what? They're probably not wrong. So, I mean, you know, we have on this one hand, we have this very sort of uh, almost schizophrenic message that we send out as Americans. You know, we say on the one hand, don't come to this country, don't violate our border laws, you know, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't disrespect our, our immigration laws. But if you do and you happen to get away with it, well, we're going to shower you with fabulous cash and prizes. And then, we, and then we're surprised when people go out and die in the desert. I mean, that, that shouldn't be surprising. And again, I think the officials who encourage the breaking of American immigration law have the blood of those people on their hands because they encourage, they promote that stuff. Not only will they not do anything to stop it, not only will they not vote to, say, appropriate wall uh, money for a wall, not only will they thwart every effort to uh, through the courts to change policies, like say such as uh, uh, asylum uh, applications. Not only will they not do any of those things, but they actually positively encourage people to come and break the law. They encourage people to come to this country. You know, the Democrats want to import a constituency. The Roman Catholics, they want to import a constituency. The Roman Catholic Church does this. You know, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and I'm going to, going to read a few statements that they made here, uh, made here recently. Uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is a fifth column. It is a treasonous organization. And yet nobody, nobody will go after them. You know, they sit there and, and they issue this, just, they just talk nonsense constantly. And yet no one ever seems to think that um, to, uh, to call them out on this. And that's an outrage. All right, so let's 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 move on here. Now, one of the things that we've heard here over the last several months is, well, yeah, I mean, how many times have you heard this? You know, you've heard people call and say, well, you know, all the illegal border crossings are down. It's at a low after years and years and years. There's, you know, there's no emergency down there. There's nothing wrong going on on the border. Everything's awesome. Well, you know, there's been some stories that have been run recently that really give light to that. Let's take a look at one of them now. This is from Breitbart News, and it has a. Uh, this is from March 13th, so it's just a couple days ago. It's a very recent story. Here's the the headline: ICE Union. Of course, ICE is the immigration's uh, uh, is the uh, the immigration enforcement uh, arm of the government, and it's the headline is ICE Union. Thousands of illegal aliens are being released into the U.S with catch and release and overdrive. So what's catch and release? This is a really important thing to understand. Catch and release is, you know, they, they catch these people coming into the country at the border. And what they do is they claim, oh, well, you know, we're persecuted in our home countries and we're seeking asylum. And so what, what they, they get held in, in a detention center at some point. But that detention center doesn't have infinite capacity. And at some point, you know, people have, that have been in there for a while, they need to be cleared out in order for new people who have been uh, arrested or turned themselves into border agents claiming asylum can also be put into that detention center and have their cases processed. So what happens is the people that have been there for a while, they, they kind of get, uh, get a court date and they get released into the country and they say, well, come back on your court date. Well, guess what happens? Nobody ever comes back. And, of course, it's completely absurd, but this is what's going on on our southern border. So let's read a little bit of this article here. The National Immigration and Customs Enforcement, so that's what ICE is, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE uh, Council, says that agents are being overwhelmed by mass unchecked illegal immigration in the United States. In a letter to President Trump this week, the ICE Union wrote that Catch and Release Program, whereby border crossers and illegal aliens are swiftly released into the interior of the U.S. after being detained, is an overdrive, as agents are forced to release illegal aliens en masse to make space for new border crossers who likewise will eventually be released, the ICE letter notes. It goes on here. Uh, as you know, every day thousands of illegal aliens are being released into the United States by your administration. 
Catch and release is not just happening, it's an overdrive. Catch and release must continue as ICE doesn't have sufficient custody space to hold the massive number of family units illegally entering the United States every day. DHS resources on the border are overwhelmed. Political games in Washington, D.C. have rendered the United States completely incapable of controlling its southern border. Completely incapable of controlling its southern border. This is from the ICE union, okay? Does that disturb anybody? You know, that, that, that to me is just astounding that this kind of thing is allowed to go on. This is what's happening in your country. You know, and I say this to my fellow Americans, this is what's being done to us by our elected officials. They think that this is okay. They think this is awesome. Well, not all of them, but some of them do. I think this is an outrage, and I, I struggle when I, when I see things like this. I, I really struggle to adequately express the, the anger that I feel. And, and you know the, the anger? It, it's actually not really so much at the, the illegal aliens that are doing this stuff. Now, I, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like what they're doing. I can understand why they're doing it. Now, my, the, the anger that I have uh, isn't at Mexico. It's, it's not at Guatemala or Honduras or these countries where these, these people are coming from. The anger that I have is the people who try to justify this. Whether these are Democratic politicians, whether these are Roman Catholic bishops, whether these are... Yeah, I, I don't know what quite the word is. There, there, there are a lot of, of evangelicals out there who also support this sort of thing. Now, there are evangelicals of, of a certain sort. Some people have called them Soros evangelicals because some, the, some of them are in the pay of George Soros. And, and I'm thinking about people and organizations such as the Evangelical Immigration Table, which is a, an organ, a, a supposedly evangelical organization that has, at least in the past, gotten um, either directly or perhaps indirectly funding through George Soros. I'm thinking about people like Russell Moore who go out and constantly berate their fellow evangelicals for opposing some of this stuff. I mean, I guess apparently Russell Moore must think this kind of thing is awesome. I, I, I don't know, but I mean, I, I've, you know, when you read his stuff, and he's written a lot publicly on, on immigration. You know, he, he almost reflexively takes the side of the illegal immigrants and almost reflexively opposes what's good for his country and what's good for his countrymen. And even what is supported by the majority of, uh, of evangelicals, certainly of Southern Baptists, and I think of, uh, of evangelicals or Protestants in general. He opposes that. I have a tremendous amount of anger for the, the words and for the actions of, of these men. And, of course, you know, the, the Roman Catholic bishops, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, they're out there front and center leading the way on this stuff. And, again, we're going to get to them in just a minute here, but i got a few other news stories I wanted to take a look at. Here's one today. This is actually from the Washington Post, the WAPO. You know, Jeff Bezos' blog, as some people like to sarcastically refer to it, uh, of course, uh, the, the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, who uh, is the, the owner, the founder of, of Amazon. That's why they, they call it that. But, uh, but anyway, there was a story in the Washington Post. And it's kind of interesting that this would actually be in the Washington Post because, of course, the Washington Post is, has always been a sort of a Democrat, sort of a liberal publication. And they've been very adamantly opposed for the most part, to any type of, of immigration control. There's a very interesting story in today's Washington Post from March 15th, 2019. Here's the headline. The conveyor belt. U.S. officials say massive smuggling effort is speeding immigrants to and across the southern border. And it talks here, it says, criminal organizations in Mexico have mounted a lucrative new smuggling operation that uses express buses to deliver Guatemalan migrant families to the U.S. border in a matter of days, making the journey faster, easier, and safer, according to U.S. law enforcement reports and U.S. and Guatemalan officials. So we've got a little bit of entrepreneurship going on here in violating U.S. customs laws. So instead of people having to, to haul all the way up from, the, from Guatemala, which is on the southern border of Mexico, all the way up to the United States, and uh, I, I don't know what's the distance there. It's probably 1,500 miles, maybe, maybe longer than that. I, I, I don't know offhand, but I'd say probably at least 1,500 miles. 
So it's a pretty good haul. You know, and that's what you know, you've read about these caravans over the past year, and that's the route people have been taking. Well, you know, that, that's a long way to walk on, on foot. And now, of course, the caravans, it's, it's not, they're not completely on foot. I mean, a lot of times they're um, getting rides or riding on trains or riding on buses or on trucks, what have you. But it, it's been kind of a haphazard sort of thing. Uh, sort of catch as catch can when it comes to getting mechanized transportation, uh, but you know a lot of that ground has been covered on foot. So anyway, they've got this this new uh, sort of super highway. This uh, <laughs> I guess what did they call that here? A conveyor belt. I guess that's the conveyor belt. That's, that's the word that the Washington Post used to bring people up from Guatemala into the United States. And apparently, they said that they it's seven thousand dollars per adult with child. It says families are transported to staging areas at ranches and hotels in southern Mexico where they're organized into bus groups and rushed north along Mexican highways, stopping only for food, fuel, and bathroom breaks, according to U.S. law enforcement documents. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so they, you know, they, they hop on the Greyhound bus. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they had these – did they get these tours arranged? I mean, is this like, I don't know, like AAA or something like this? Uh, yeah, so, so they get on these buses, and yeah, it, it sounds like a pretty impressive operation. Now, here's a paragraph in this article from the Washington Post that I thought was particularly interesting. And and let me read that to you. Within 72 hours of leaving the staging areas, again, the staging areas are in southern Mexico. Within 72 hours of leaving the staging areas, the buses arrive at predetermined drop-off points within walking distance of the U.S. border. Migrant families are clustered into groups that have at times exceeded 300 adults and children, and they walk directly across the border in some cases stepping over barriers in long, orderly lines. Then they surrender to U.S. Border Patrol agents and initiate asylum claims. And then they go to the, uh, then they go to the, the, uh, uh, the asylum holding places, and then, they, you know, and then they're released out into the general public. So you see, you see how the people are coming into the country from the Washington Post. You see in the Breitbart article uh, how these people are held and then released because I got to make room for more people coming up, you know, on the conveyor belt. I mean, you know, if you, know, you, you got to clear the end of the conveyor belt, right? I mean, I used to work at UPS. I remember I used to work in the the morning shift and they had this big conveyor belt that brought boxes down and 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 you had to get those boxes off the line and get them loaded onto your package cars because if you didn't do that, you'd end up getting buried alive under packages. Well, it's kind of the same thing here with this. You got this conveyor belt bringing people up, and they drop them off there at the U.S. Mexico border, and we hold them for a little while, and then we we have to move them on because we got more of them coming on this giant conveyor belt. And and this is the thing that just I I I, I lack the adequate words to express my outrage at this. But they talk about how these people, they, they come over the border, and then they surrender to U.S. Border Patrol agents and initiate asylum claims. This is an absolute outrage. Now, the Trump administration, I think this goes back to November, December, I think when some of the, the caravans were first hitting um, or on the way uh, during the fall. They, uh, I think it was an executive order, maybe it was. But anyway, what they did is they, there was an executive, I believe it was an executive order that was signed whereby it required people applying for asylum to do it at an official checkpoint. And, of course, this was overturned by some judge, I think, on the Ninth Circuit Court. So this kind of outrageous nonsense continues. This is a gross abuse of the generosity of the American people. This is a gross abuse of the asylum, pro- uh, of the asylum process. This is an obvious scam, and the scamese are the American people. And this is just allowed to go on. So that's the Washington Post. Uh, now, here's another source. And, you know, and I like quoting from some of these mainstream sources because it's... There's a term that's called admission against interest. Okay? You know, it, when you, you read something out of the Washington Post or the New York Times or some other mainstream type of a publication, and they admit, essentially... Yeah, there, there, there's a big problem here. When they admit that, you know, that, that really kind of goes against their own interest. But you can find these kinds of stories in the mainstream press. You know, it's kind of easy. I, I, I kind of consider myself, I guess, maybe the, the, uh, the alternate media or what have you, you know, when you talk about, you know, the whole universe of bloggers and podcasters and, and uh, YouTubers and, and uh, folks, uh, folks like that. You know, I mean, we, we're sort of independent journalists. Maybe that's what I call myself, an independent journalist, independent Christian journalist. 
Well, I mean, the, you can do a lot of good work that way. You know, I love listening to podcasts. I love reading blog articles. I love watching YouTube videos. That's one of the things that kind of inspired me to do this myself. There's a lot of really good work that's being done out there by independent journalists, people who are not part of the mainstream, people who are not part of the, the corrupt system that we have out there today. And they stand outside of that, and they can actually deliver some very good commentary. You can learn from them. But it, it's also very interesting to look at you know, sometimes the mainstream media, or what some people like to call it, the legacy media, because there can be some good stuff in in those publications as well. You got to dig for it a little bit sometimes, but you can find uh, a lot of truth in in the mainstream media. So here's a, another story. This is in the New York Times. This is from March fifth, twenty nineteen. So a couple weeks ago. And here's the headline. Border at breaking point. There's more than 76,000 unauthorized migrants cross in a month. Now, once again, this kind of exposes that as a lie, that that meme that's been passed around here for the past several months. Oh, there's no emergency on the southern border. Oh, there's no problems down there. Everything's just great. Um, You know, these... Donald Trump, he's just crazy for wanting to build a wall. It won't work. And it's not really needed anyway because there's nobody down there doing anything. Who was that one reporter? I think there was that that CNN reporter. I don't know. Who was that guy? Jim Acosta, I think it was. He went down there, stood behind the the wall, uh, the existing segment wall, and said, well, we don't need a wall. There's nobody trying to get over here. And the obvious answer is, well, duh, it's because there's a wall there. You know, uh, some of these people sometimes aren't too bright. And, um, of course, Jim Acosta is a fairly caustic individual on top of all that. But anyway, kind of going back to the New York Times story here. Border at breaking point is more than 76,000 unauthorized migrants cross in a month. And the story goes on. The number of migrant families crossing the southwest border has once again broken records. And I guess this is the New York Times here. Get that. This is the New York Times. And they admit in early March 2019, that the the number of migrant families crossing the southwest border has once again broken records, with unauthorized entries nearly double what they were a year ago, suggesting that the Trump administration's aggressive policies have not discouraged new migration to the United States. Well, they haven't really had a chance to implement very much, now have they? You know, so somehow it's the Trump administration's policies that are the cause of all of this thing. And if Donald Trump really weren't trying to enforce this stuff, why did it all just go away? Now, see, that's the lie. But the the article continues. More than 76,000 migrants crossed the border without authorization in February. So in February, February 2019, so just last month, an 11-year high and a strong sign that stepped-up prosecutions, new controls on asylum, and harsher detention policies have not reversed or remains a powerful lure for thousands of families fleeing violence and poverty. So see, what it is is they're fleeing violence and poverty has nothing to do, you know, it's, and, 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 you know, what, what they're trying to say here apparently is that there's really nothing we can do to stop this stuff. There's all this violence and poverty down there, which is apparently all the Americans' fault. And we're just supposed to sit here and, and take this stuff. And the more we try to control it, why, the more we're going to get. Well, you know, I'm sorry, I, I don't buy that. You know, they make it sound like this is somehow this is something that's inevitable, and it is not. Now, talking about the wall, you know, in, in my opinion, the wall can be a piece of the puzzle. But I don't think it's even the most important piece of the puzzle. What we need to do, if we really want to solve immigration long-term, is we need to cut off the perverse incentives that our laws create. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm I'm talking here of, of a few things. We need to start, in my view, with getting rid of the birthright citizenship. You know, it's the idea that if somebody sneaks into the United States, has a baby, oftentimes an American taxpayer expense, that that child is an instant American citizen. You know, just add water. So all you got to do if you're pregnant is sneak over that border, um, have the have your baby on U.S. soil, as I said, very t- oftentimes in a hospital at U.S. taxpayer expense, and bingo, instant instant American citizen. And, of course, that makes it harder to deport the parents. It's not that they can't be deported, but it does make it harder. 
And you know, you very often hear people say, "Oh, you can't deport so and so because why? So and so has three three American children. Well, how did they become American children? Well, because they were born to somebody I- illegally in the country and were awarded American citizenship. That is absurd." Is a gross abuse of American citizenship, which is one of the most valuable legal rights that anybody can have in the world. And we treat it with absolute contempt, like complete garbage. And again, I struggle to adequately express my outrage that this practice is allowed to go on. So we need to get rid of that. We need to start repealing the welfare state. We need to get rid of those things as well. But that being the case, that doesn't mean that the wall can't be effective. The wall can be effective. It can be part of a larger process of getting a handle on some of this, uh, some of the immigration problems that we have. Revising our asylum laws. We need to take a look at this. We need better controls on these things. And of course, the courts at every turn. Uh, thwart that. I mean, the the legal process, the the laws of this country have largely been weaponized against the American people. They're not enforced in the interest of the American people. They're enforced in the interest of foreigners. And this needs to change. Now, let's turn to a, a different story here. This is a story from the uh, from the Daily Mail. That's a, a UK paper, and they covered. Uh, this is from March 6th. The, uh, the head of uh, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, was giving testimony uh, before Congress. This is uh, uh, Kirsten Nielsen, uh, Homeland Security Secretary. And here's the headline of this particular story in, in the Daily Mail. DHS Secretary says so many migrants are raped on the way to the U.S. that ICE gives every girl 10 and older a pregnancy test. And recycling rings let illegals reuse children over and over to jump the border. <laughs> That's just a headline. So you read in the story here, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen said Wednesday that young female migrants traveling north of the United States are raped with such regularity that Immigration and Customs Enforcement gives every girl aged 10 and over a pregnancy test after arising, after arriving. Very unfortunately, because of the increase in violence at an increase in violence at ICE. When we have families with children, we have to give every girl a pregnancy test over 10. This is not a safe journey, Nielsen told the House Homeland Security Committee. Okay, well then don't do it. You know, th- this is another thing that I, I have to say I'm, I'm in a bit of awe at, and that is some of these uh, these parents uh, from areas, whether from Mexico, whether from Guatemala, Honduras, or other places, yeah, if in fact they are the parents of the children, and, and there's some question about whether, yeah, uh, there, there's some question about whether these children actually do belong to, uh, belong to the parents, whether the, the adults that are accompanying the children are actually the parents, maybe I should put it that way. There's some question about that, but it's just astounding to me. The parents would expose their children to the kind of violence that's inherent in this. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, when you step outside of of what is legal, you exp- you 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 you're stepping outside of the umbrella of the protection of the law. You know, when you decide to to go on a journey, what do you call it, a caravan, whether you want to call it a conveyor belt, what have you, when when someone decides to do that, those people are taking themselves out of the umbrella of the protection of the law. And it's horrible uh, to hear about the the kinds of abuses that go on in these caravans, but it's not surprising. Uh, The article in the Daily Mail, it continues here. It says, Doctors Without Borders reported in 2017 that 68.3% of the migrant and refugee populations entering Mexico from Central America reported being victims of violence during their transit toward the United States. And nearly one-third of the women surveyed had been sexually abused during their journey. Now, there was an article. Uh, in fact, here it is. It's, uh, yeah, where is that? There was an article. It was, it was called The Rape Tree that I read. And it was about this, this tree 
that was near the U.S.-Mexico border where some of these, uh, these smugglers would take, would take women and they would rape them. And the cries of these women could be heard over the border. And I think one of the, the people, I'm, I'm going by memory here, but one of the, uh, the uh, people who was interviewed, one of the Americans said that they thought it was coyotes at first, and it was, it was actually uh, these, these rape victims. And that, that's a horrifying thing to think about. But this is the kind of thing that goes on. And again, you know, I would, would say to these people that will not enforce the law, that encourage this sort of mass violation of the law, encourage this mass illegal immigration, those people are responsible for this stuff. They bear responsibility. They bear guilt for encouraging this kind of behavior. Now, you want to talk about uh, guilt for encouraging behavior. I mentioned before the, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and it's, it's hard to know even where to, to start with some of these guys. But uh, maybe let's, let's go back to this. Um, here's a, this is a press release. If you go to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website, they actually have a media section. And you can go, and then they, you know, every few days they have press releases. And they're of, on, on a wide variety of topics, but not surprisingly, there is... Uh, on a fairly regular basis, there is uh, there are press releases about immigration. So here's one from February 15th, 2019, so just a month ago. President of the U.S. Bishops and Chairman of Bishops Committee on Migration respond to the President's order to fund construction of border wall. Dateline, Washington. Today, President Trump announced that he will issue an order stating his intention to make use of funds previously appropriated for other purposes to fund the construction of a border wall at the U.S.-Mexico border that Congress has refused to fund. Cardinal Daniel DiNardo of Galveston, Houston, and President of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and Bishop Joe S. Vasquez of Austin, Chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Migration, issued the following joint statement. Quote, We are deeply concerned about the President's action to fund the construction of a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border, which circumvents the clear intent of Congress to limit funding of a wall. We oppose the use of these funds to further the construction of the wall. The wall, first and foremost, is a symbol of division and animosity between two friendly countries. We remain steadfast and resolute in the vision articulated by Pope Francis that at this time we need to be building bridges and not walls. Now, I have to admit, it's hard for me to read that paragraph and not just want to interject myself right in the middle of it. Um, but I, I was disciplined. I, was, I, I, I held my peace. I, I read, the, read word for word verbatim what these, uh, uh, these acolytes, these uh, henchmen of Antichrist had to say. I'm talking here about DiNardo and, and, and Vasquez. I, I, I read what they had to say. Now I'm going to comment on it. Well... The wall, first and foremost, is most certainly not a symbol of division and animosity between two friendly countries. It is, if it's anything, it is a protection, is a symbol of the desire of at least some people in our government to protect the American people against the abuse that the Roman Catholic Church state is trying to dish out. See, these guys, you know, DiNardo, Vasquez, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, they are some of the people out there beating the drum the loudest. You know, like that guy from, uh, who is that guy uh, that, uh, uh, Nathan Phillips, I think it was, who was out, you know, beating his drum and chanting in the face of those uh, those uh, kids that were up there in Washington. Well, these guys beat a drum too. And, now, maybe not literally a drum, but they certainly beat the immigration drum. And they beat it pretty darn hard. And, you know, and they completely misconstrue, you know, what the wall is all about. They want to, you know, call it, call it a symbol of division and animosity. No, it's, it's, it's a symbol of people fed up with being abused. As an American citizen, I'm tired of watching my country be trampled on. And I'm tired of people like DiNardo and Vasquez encouraging that. I'm sick of it. And I think a lot of other Americans are sick of it, too. I don't think I'm alone in that. And, of course, they remain steadfast and resolute in the vision articulated by Pope Francis that at this time we need to be building bridges and not walls. Yes, I know Pope Francis very much can't wait to build bridges to bring as many people as possible in the United States. And here's the thing what he doesn't say, and this is what the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops doesn't tell you. They want to stick you and me with the bill. 
So they want us, they not only want us to pay for the bridges, but that once, once the people have been brought in by these bridges, they want you and me to foot the bill for that. This is one of the things that, it, it's one of the things very interesting when you read the statements by the Roman church state about immigration. You know, they always talk about the responsibility, the obligation, you know, of, of richer countries to support poorer countries and blah, 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 blah. You know, it, they, but they very rarely, if ever, quite get around to being honest what that really means. And what it means is the Roman church state wants the U.S. government to take money from you, the American citizen, and will take, want, take money out of your pocket, and they want the federal government to transfer that money into the pockets of citizens of other countries. That's what they really mean. That, that's laying it out expressly what it is. You know, that, that, that's what's going on. That's what they want to see happen. And, of course, their entire, their entire reason for this is based upon the bogus, the unbiblical, the wicked philosophy of economics and the philosophy of politics that is articulated by the Roman church state. There's an idea that they push. It's called the universal destination of goods. And basically the universal destinations of goods says that, um, that need is the only moral title to property. So if you need something, you know, if, if a migrant needs something and you have more than you need, it's right for the government to take that from you and give it to them. That's what undergirds all of Rome's immigration theory. That, that, that one idea, that's probably the single most important building block of, of Rome's immigration lie, is the universal destination of goods. And I've talked a lot about this in, in that series I mentioned, the Mexico mass migration, the example of Moses. I've talked a lot about that in there, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it here, but I'd encourage you to read some of the posts in that series where I talk about uh, Exel Familia and where I talk about the uh, uh, Strangers No Longer documents because you really see it in those documents. But this is why Rome teaches what it teaches. It's because it has this fundamentally flawed idea that need is the only moral title to property. Well, the Bible calls, I mean, when, when the government takes money from Americans and transfers it to illegal immigrants, the proper word for that, what the Bible calls that, is theft. That's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. And, of course, these bishops encourage the violation of the Eighth Commandment. And other commandments as well, but that's certainly one that's, that's uh, clearly applicable in this case. And, of course, that's what you would expect, right? Because Rome's not a Christian church. Now, here's another statement, and this was one that's issued. This is from March 4th, 2019. It's a statement from the Tex-Mex Border Bishops. And it, it goes on. It says, Statement of the Bishops of the Border Between Texas and Northern Mexico. And, and there's actually a link in one of the uh, articles that I just read on the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. It takes you to this website. And it starts out quoting, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Matthew 25, 35. Okay, so, so let's, let's stop right there. Now, this is one of the biggest lies that's pushed by Rome and, and by Rome's acolytes. And they always go to this verse, and they say, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Okay. Now, that is in the Bible, and I don't dispute that. And, of course, the Bible encourages Christians to be, uh, to be charitable. Principally, we're to take care of our own, and our families, and our fellow believers. But of course, we do have, uh, we, we certainly can help uh, those who are not Christians. And the fact of the matter is that, that Protestants, that evangelical Christians, are some of the most generous people in all the world. They're known for this. You've probably, I mean, if, if you go to a, a Protestant church, if you go to a conservative evangelical church, think about that. I mean, think about, you know, there, there are probably all sorts of charitable activities that are done. No, that's not the main calling of the church. But I certainly, it's a great blessing to be able to help those who are in need. It's certainly something we can do to be salt and light in, in a very brutal world. So yeah, I certainly think that the idea of welcoming and helping people uh, is certainly one way that we can model Christ to our neighbor. But see, here's the thing that they don't tell you. And this is what the bishops always lie about. 
See, Christian charity is always about giving of your own things. It's about giving of your own money. It's about giving of your own time. It's about giving of your own resources. Think about, think for a moment, probably the most famous example of charity in the Bible. And of course, I'm talking here about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, this Good Samaritan, you know, this, this guy goes out and he gets mugged and robbed and basically left by the side of the road to die. And you've got some of these, um, you know, Levites and what have you kind of go by and they look and they say, oh, well, that's just too bad that happened. And they keep on going. They got better things to do. And then finally, this, this fellow comes along. He's a Samaritan, you know, so he's uh, somebody who's a foreigner, and not just a foreigner, but a despised foreigner. And he's the one that actually provides help. You know, and he, he goes and he bandages this guy's wounds, and he, he takes him to an inn, and he, he gives money to the innkeeper, and he tells the innkeeper, you know, um, you know if there's anything more that, uh, that, uh, that I owe you uh, to treat this fellow, that, you know, I'll pay it for you when I return. There's no government charity involved in that. That's private charity. The Good Samaritan gave of his own time. The Good Samaritan, you know, he put his own life in danger to some degree, right? Because, I mean, who knows? Those, those highwaymen could have still been around. Maybe they would have mugged a Good Samaritan. But he went out of his way. He interrupted his own journey. I think he was, what, uh, maybe on a, a business trip or something. So he, he, he went out of his way to bear the costs in time. In, in effort, uh, in money, literally, because he gave, uh, he gave money to have this, uh, this fellow who was, uh, was robbed and beaten uh, made sure he was taken care of. But it was private charity. That is Christian charity. That is very different from what the Roman Catholic bishops support. What they support is international socialism. They want to take your money. They want to get the government to take your money. They won't take it themselves. They're not brave enough to do that. But they certainly will lobby Washington to take your money and give it to foreigners. And these are foreigners who shouldn't even be in the country because they violated immigration laws, U.S. immigration laws. Yeah, so, I mean, these people sin. These bishops sin. They misapply. They twist. They pervert the word of God. They're liars. They're agents of Antichrist. This is what they do. This is what they're about. And it's critical to understand this. I mean, there's really, you know, I, I know that I sometimes, maybe it seems like I go on and on and on about the Roman church state, but there's really, it's almost impossible to be too hard on these people. I mean, as, as, <laughs> as critical as I am of, of the, uh, the bishops of Rome, I, I probably am not hard enough on them. You know, I, I really don't think that I am, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better, Lord willing, and I'm going to keep pounding on these guys because they, they deserve it uh, and, and so much more. Well, anyway, that's about all that, that I have for this week. I've kind of went on for a while here, but hopefully that was, um, maybe this has been uh, at least somewhat interesting and maybe a bit enlightening for you in terms of, uh, of some of the things that are going on. Uh, as always, I mean, as, as Christians, I mean, we need to be in prayer for our elected officials and that they would receive wise counsel, that they would execute judgment and justice as they're called to do. And we need to be in prayer. We need to be, we need to be talking to people. We need to be preaching the gospel because ultimately the problems that we have as an American nation the problem with immigration or all the other problems we have, this is not this is not ultimately a political problem. It's not even ultimately an economic problem. It's really a spiritual problem. We have major problems in this country. And if there's ever going to be any real progress made on that, it's going to be Christians being salt and light. It needs to start in the pulpits. It needs to start in the pews. And we need to have faith. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to have, we need to shout from the rooftops the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And all that that implies. You know, I mean, the, the, the Christian faith, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the, the sine qua non, the absolute heart of Christianity, is that we're justified, that we're declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not on the basis of our works. And when we become alive in Christ, it opens up a whole world to us. I mean, the, the Bible, it's, it's, 
I, I, I want to say this right. It's not just about salvation. Oh, it is about that. But it's about so much more than just that, than just justification. It's about the whole counsel of God. And part of growing in Christ is learning how to apply the scriptures to various men, to various situations that we find. And that's one of the goals that I have as a podcaster, as a, as a blogger, is to do that very thing and to apply the word of God to the situation of, uh, uh, of, uh, of immigration. That's certainly something that I've tried to do. Lord willing, I have done it well, and, and Lord willing, I will continue to learn and do it better going forward. But for now, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. I really do appreciate your support. If uh, you like this podcast, please uh, feel free to sign up for that. You can subscribe on iTunes. Or if you'd like to, please feel free to leave a comment. I always enjoy hearing from, uh, from my listeners. And until next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. Thank you.